Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Al Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Welcome to our October Discord Q&A with myself and the one and only Joel Wanasek. I hope all of you in the audience are doing great. At the bottom of my screen, there's a hand icon for raising your hand. So raise your hand, get in line, and uh, you'll ask Joel your question. Joel, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. Very good. Glad to be doing this. Do you like my avatar? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do very, very much. Can't taste it through the internet, though. Uh, You definitely can't. No, so I have no way of knowing if it's good, but I believe it, it's got to be with the amount of fucking time you put into that shit. It's got to be. <laughs> if you want to do something right, you know, you got to gonna it. be. I'm going to be really disappointed if like at some point I try it and it tastes like shit. Aren't you a vegetarian? Yeah, but I'm just saying if at some point. If you were to like, break the code. Yeah, and try it and was like. I'd like be if I really drugged you. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Just just depends, you know. I'm an open-minded guy, who knows? Anyways, let's get to questions. Up first is Mr. Philip Self. Welcome, Philip. What's your question? As someone who's just now getting into this, uh, I've got some stuff lined up with a client, some potential clients in a genre that I don't really enjoy doing. And so I'm just kind of curious, what's been your experience working in genres you don't enjoy? Is that something you do just to get the money in and then eventually you build up a reputation where you get to choose clients or is that just part of the job? Great question. I love this question. Um, And I have a lot to say on it because I would say that 80% of my career producing bands was working on stuff that I normally wouldn't listen to and definitely didn't like. So I want you to think about what you're saying for a second. So I always look back and think to myself, like, why did I get into music? Right. So like a band shows up in my studio. Okay. You know, like, I don't get it. Like, I remember I had like one of those, remember like 2009, 10, like when like these scene kid, um, like emo, like acoustic guitar, like with auto tune, electronic production band kind of thing showed up. I was like, 
as a guy who grew up listening to 90s death metal, I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, when it showed up at my door, I was so shocked. I'm like, man, we would have gotten beat up when I was a kid, but I'm going to leave it right there. So I, I was like listening to these kids play and they couldn't, and they're like, dude, we can't sing at all. We don't have any talent, but we're just going to get on the mic and just auto tune it. I'm like, what the fuck? Part of me is like, I can't believe this. This is a disaster. What am I going to do? Why am I doing this, this project? Why did I agree to this? And the other part of me is like, okay, um, this is about to become a thing. I need to understand this. So on those days when a band comes in like that, where you're just kind of like, holy shit, I hate this genre. I hate everything about it. I hate how it looks. I hate how it sounds. I literally hate it. I think to myself, I could be working at a fucking bank doing something I truly hate, or I could be doing music every day for a living. So then when I, when I put myself back in that mental spot that I was in at that time, I find myself looking back and then feeling fucking joy because I realized that, no, I get to do music today. This is cool. So then I shift my mind. And then what I think to myself is I say, okay, well, I don't like this band offset, right? I'm not interested in this kind of style of music, but what if I tried to like it? And what if I tried to get it? Because obviously somebody out there gets it. Like when, for example, when dubstep came out, I thought it was like the dumbest sounding thing I'd ever fucking heard. I was like, what, what is this dumb shit that people are into? Why is this blowing up? And I listened to it and I listened to it and I listened to it for three weeks, I forced myself. And then I started to hate it less and less and less. And then I finally understood it. And I'm like, oh, okay. I understand why people think this goes hard. This is pretty sick. I think the best advice I can give you is to look at it as a challenge to find something in that sound or style of band because it's inevitable. Like you have to take the money. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't get to pick and choose what you work on. And God forbid you blow up on a band on a, you know, something you work on that gets really famous. And then you have like 50 other bands that all want that fucking sound. And uh, you know, you start like a thing and you're the guy for that thing. And you're like, man, I really don't like this style or sound, but you're the dude. So um, that could happen to you very, very quickly. So like I said, it's very, very important to look at this as a challenge to embrace and to find something good about it. So um, another trick that always helped me is I would look at the band and I would try to find um, a member or like a thing in the song that I could really latch onto and identify with on like an emotional level. So for example, maybe the drummer is fucking badass, but the music sucks. You know, the singer is terrible. The band can't play, but the drummer is fucking sick. Really focusing a lot of your emotional energy as a producer on bringing out the drummer and the drums and, you know, making everything else, you know, focus around that, you know, I was able to kind of get through those tougher days where it's like, I don't like the band. I don't like them as people. They're really, really difficult, but you know, you just, you got to just like latch onto one thing. And like I said, if you really emotionally are in a position where you're like, I don't like this, I don't want to do this. Just literally go out into the real world for a second and realize like you could be working at McDonald's or something, putting fries in a cup. So um, I think it's important to embrace that kind of stuff. And the reason I say that is not only like the financial aspect of doing it for a living, um, but trends are always changing one. Like there's never, it's never a static thing, like what's cool. So if you grew up listening to hardcore, you know, hardcore in 2021 is going to be a lot different than hardcore in the 1990s or even the early 2000s, you know, mid 2000s, you know what I mean? So, you know, everything changes. Like I don't like gent. I fucking hate gent. I can't stand it, but I've worked on big gent bands and I've enjoyed working on them when I've worked with them. So it's kind of like, I don't listen to the genre, but I can still work on a client and, and enjoy something like monuments because, you know, it, it's great in what it is. Like I said, one is that the trends are always changing and you always got to adapt to the trends. 
But the second thing is that it helps open your mind. Like when you learn to find and embrace things in new sounds that you normally don't like, and you finally like what's called quote getting it, when you actually get it, you'll find out that you actually start enjoying it. Like, dude, I hated metalcore. Like, you know, all the Joey bands, I fucking hated that genre. Cause again, I came from like 90s death metal. Um, then I was like an instrumental neoclassical shred nerd. So all I give a shit about was, you know, like sweep arpeggios and like bands with high pitched singers and like fucking speed picking runs, <laughs> you know? And then I got really into like the Gothenburg Swedish death metal, kind of like everything fucking harmonized, you know, melodic stuff, but still brutal and heavy. Uh, and then, so you hated Joey's bands because it was like a complete cultural punch in the face yeah, that, dude, uh, was, that I can it, it, totally relate with. You know what? Against everything. I believed it. I feel like part of this job, you have to learn how to become a fan of what you're working on while you're working yes. on it. Even if the moment it's over, you'll never listen to it again. You don't even like it. Or the moment before you would never listen to it and you don't like it while you're working on it. You have to do whatever whatever process it is for you mentally. You have to learn how to become a fan of what you're working on. And what Joel said is right. Like whether it's picking one member that's extraordinary and just like making that the reason that you think that this is sick or whatever it is, you need to find a way to get into and get behind and be a fan of what you're working on or you will not do your best work and you will be clocked by people who will be doing their best work. And also, if you don't do that and you work with bands that you have not convinced yourself to like, uh, you know, for an extended period of time, it'll come out in the way that you treat people and in the quality of your work, there's no way that people will not eventually notice that you're checked out mentally or that you're kind of bitter. You don't want to be there. Like those sorts of things. Like there's only so long that people can hide that shit. Like, you know, you you can fake people out for a little while, but years, you know, years of this, there will come a point where you just wear down and you can't hide that shit. And one thing that you'll notice about people who come on Nail the Mix or on the podcast or on the Riff Hard podcast too is that they're still excited about what they do. Like we could be talking to people in their 50s. Maybe you heard the John Petrucci episode, for instance. You can be talking to people who are seasoned fucking vets and they love it the way that they always loved it and they have the same drive for it. Um, now, of course, it's one thing if your band becomes one of the biggest bands ever in a certain scene, but this this type of uh, character trait is common among all of our guests on URM and Riff Hard. That's very, very key because there's no possible way that they have always worked on stuff that they like, that they have always worked on stuff that's in their genre of choice, and that they always get to pick and choose every single thing they do, but they have connected and reconnected and reconnected with why they do this in the first place. And they have found a way to get themselves mentally there. And if you want to do this long-term, you need to do the same. And Philip, thank you for your question. One um, last quick thing I want to say on this. Couldn't agree with anything like any more with what you just said. It's spot on. I think that the biggest lesson for me after all these years that I've learned with in regard to like this specific topic is that 
a lot of the music that I would have never given a chance to or written off or just like some sort of stupid fucking metal elitism stemming back to my younger years. I found I ended up liking a lot of music and a lot of bands and a lot of genres that I just never thought I would like. It really opened my mind. And there's, I just listened to so much more stuff now than I ever used to. So I found myself liking bands. Like, for example, when I got Attila on my desk, I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And by the time I got done, I'm like, this is the coolest band I've ever fucking worked on. So you know what I mean? It's just like you got to go in with an open mind and you'll learn to like the stuff that you're working on if you put your passion into it. Yep. Okay. Next question is from uh, Scott Bennett. Hello, Scott. Hey, guys. Hi. I just want to ask Joel. Uh, so when you made your band, I'm not sure how to say fucking rock or fucking rock or however you say fucking it. Rock. <laughs> <laughs> just like if you could talk a bit about your marketing strategy, because obviously you created that band from nothing and you were creating these illustrious stories on Facebook, talking about the members and stuff. And it was obviously it was like it was comedy and sort of like Steel Panther in a way, but like you really marketed something and then the the band got some decent numbers for being like a band that was created out of nothing. I just wonder if you could talk about that a bit. Yeah, of course. So my premise creating the band is I want to have fun. I was doing it for me and not for anybody else. And, you know, I kind of, I'm not the person who takes himself too seriously. And I think no band should take themselves too seriously because as soon as you do that, it really like puts you into a fucking creative hole um which i always thought about the, i always thought about the idea of demon Vorgear walking into starbucks and their music starts playing <laughs> Dude, be um, awesome. i remember hanging out with nick barker once at it was like that i'm on children of Bodemon tour and like you know he's hanging out he's not in corpse paint and he comes out in corpse paint after hanging out for like 40 minutes and he just looks at me and he goes yeah he sticks his tongue out and i fucking lost it it was like the funniest thing because he's like hey guys what's up he's this normal dude comes back in character Oh my God. Anyways. Okay. So, so I started that band idea with, I just want to do something fun and stupid. So then I was thinking like, all right, well, how hard could I run with this? You know, I know how to market. So, um, one of the things I realized is people like stories, you know, I know this from, from marketing, you know, people connect with stories. So as a band, if your story sucks, no one's going to be interested. That's why like, you know, that's why like I'll watch little fucking pump go around. I mean, we got to go back in time here, but like little pump, for example, go to the goddamn store and like buy shit and like hang out on the tour bus. Cause it's, it's interesting. Like people relate to that, that they like reality TV. They like to just like see other people doing shit and just watch it. So, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I'm gonna have a little bit of fun with this. So I just started posting some ridiculous shit that, you know, you know, that Deep down, reading that, you're going to think this is full of shit, but you're still curious because of the way that it's written and that it's fun. So I told some entertaining, captivating stories. I mean, to the point where I had like major fucking A&R guys hitting me up and they're like, dude, I need to hear this fucking band. Like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, I'm like, no shit, like heavy hitting motherfuckers. <laughs> and, um, you know, then I told them what I was doing and they were like, holy shit, dude, that's brilliant. So the idea is I created a story. Well, first off, I created a brand that was fucking like ridiculous, like completely over the fucking top. I mean, I'm like, dude, what's the name? It's got to have an exclamation mark in it. It's got to be all fucking caps. It's got to have like, you know, I, I'm going to go like make a really stupid bio about it. Like, you know, who is the members? Like, you know, every, everything is just completely fucking ridiculous. Like that was the brand it picked. So I'm like, I'm going to tell ridiculous stories and I'm going to get people interested in it. And I'm going to keep this ongoing saga 
And, you know, it was captivating. Like it kept people entertained and they kept coming back for more and more and more. And then it was fun. And then when I dropped it, I had a big hype around it. I had that big story and I'm like, okay, how can I put some crack on this? Well, I got a buddy who owns a Spotify agency. You know, I went around and I tried a bunch of them. He was the one that I thought I got like the best results with. And I don't know if he's still kicking or not or whatever, because they change that shit all the time with like how that stuff works and, you know, the algorithms and things like that. But, you know, he's a big playlist curator. So what he does is he goes out and he builds playlists and runs like email campaigns and shit like that to them and, you know, gets people to listen and subscribe and all that shit. And he builds playlists. And then when he puts bands on the playlist you know they get in front of a lot of people and if the music's good it'll catch on it'll do good so you know i hired him to go do the thing and he owed me a couple of favors anyways and uh he helped me blow it up over there plus the stuff that i did and things like that And i'm like man if i had actually taken this band seriously i probably could have ran it pretty hard and you know if i did music videos and all that stuff but I think the underlying concept is this. And I mean, this is, I I could talk about this topic for five hours, so I'll try to keep this concise. But the most important thing you can do with a band or any artist's career is to treat it like a brand and to build a package. So start with a story, start with a fucking, like, what is it we're trying to do? Are we like, you know, like a church burning black metal band? Are we a, you know, a bubblegum pop, like happy go lucky, feely thing aimed at children? Are we, you know, a church burning black metal band? Just saying. (laughs) We're church yeah. burning black metal. Okay. Fuck Sorry. yeah, church burning black metal. So you know what I mean? Like whatever genre, you know, p- pick who you are in your identity and then create a story and an entertainment around it. Um, so, you know, people want to see, they connect with lifestyle. They want to see behind the scenes. So for example, you treat the Instagram stories, you know, every social media platform different. Like Facebook is more of like a monologue. It's you post your thoughts and reflect deep stuff so people can come and comment and fucking argue uh their their dumb opinions right and then you know instagram is more of like a picture of what's going on where stories are more of like behind the scenes or like you know more of a personal like a reality tv show you know so it's kind of like if you think about those different platforms differently you can create a story socially that people are going to identify with and then again try to find ways that you can get a good roi it's like for me and again this is two years ago but i'm like if i can throw 500 bucks in and i can generate x amount of streams and if i retain 10 to 15 percent of them then then i could convert you know so i start thinking like that you know so how, how can you capitalize on the hype and get the most people to see it so hopefully that gives you some food for thought like i said this could go forever but i you know <laughs> no totally i really appreciate it thank, thank you thanks scott all right brett you are up next how are you, Brett? Hey, good. Thank you. Um, good. My question, I guess, is from the point of view of a musician. So I'm uh, currently I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, maybe you have a, a cool riff or something. You're working with a group of guys, and you feel like they might they might not be able to implement your vision. I'm wondering when do you know how to hold back? Like, maybe this isn't the time to implement this. All right. Do you mean like from the standpoint of a musician, like? As a band member, like you want advice? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so you're working with the group and you're like, I don't know if these guys are the, the people who can implement this vision. So I just kind of hold on to this for a little bit. I, I'm just jumping in. So my band that got signed to Roadrunner went through several lineup changes before we got signed. So my band was around for five years, six years before we got signed. And my goal from day one was getting signed to Roadrunner, not getting signed to anything else. Like I didn't want to go to a small label. And so I knew that I needed a certain type of lineup, which is, you know, if you look at the lineup of the band, like I had some pretty fucking ridiculous people in it and it didn't just form that way. It took a long time. I had to get Emil from, uh, who, if you don't know who he is, 
unbelievable lead guitar player. I had to import him from Alabama. Drummer Kevin Talley, one of the most amazing drummers in the history of extreme metal, had to import him from Baltimore, for instance. Like it wasn't just like, oh, these are the dudes I know. Let's uh, have a band. And we had other lineups and I tried, you know, I tested the other lineups. We would do like mini tours, tried to do recordings and it just wasn't it. And we kept on trying different people, you know, like maybe they'll be kind of good enough if they work for like six months and then six months later, they're still not just, they're not doing what I want. They're just not good enough. And then one day in like 2003, I was just like, everybody's fired. Everybody, everybody's <laughs> yeah, fired. They are. yeah, they're gone. And I had, so I, me and the co-founder, like I told him and he's a little risk averse. So he was like, but we have a lineup. I was like, it's not the lineup, dude. This is not the lineup. If like somehow this lineup gets approached by labels and then we have to play at a showcase or something, we're going to get laughed off the fucking stage. Like this, this is not it. And trust me, what we need to do now is write music that is worthy of being on Roadrunner and assemble a lineup worthy of it. And just trust me when, if we get that together, this is going to have much more of a shot. And so I spent 2003 writing that stuff, which did end up on the first Roadrunner release and assembling the right players. And I remember in town, lots of people in the scene started to hate me. They hated me a lot because I kicked out some people that were like cool people in the scene. Like, you know, they like, they were cool at all the tattoo shops and like, you know, all the cool people shit. And, um, all the cool people started hating me for firing their friends and like, hate a all things started. And I get like these like hate emails, like, and just being told that like, you know, I didn't know what I had when I had it and I'm going to like pay the price. And like, it was like, Fuck yeah, <laughs> it was all kinds of shit like that and until, you know, I found the right people. And when I found the right people, it was all worth it. Like all that hate, all that bullshit, the years of finding them, it was the best decision because uh, we did end up getting signed to Roadrunner. And I am here right now because mm -hmm. of having gotten to, you know, gotten that boost to the career. Like everything good that has happened came as a result of being able to have gotten that record deal when I did. And if I hadn't like made the tough decision of being like, well, I have a lineup, but it's not the lineup. And I don't know. I don't even know who the right lineup is. I don't know these people. It's not like we had like Facebook or MySpace didn't even exist yet. We didn't have all these, there's no YouTube, like finding people was seriously difficult compared to what you've got now. It was like forensic work. The way I found drummer Kevin was in a classified ad in the back of a local paper. I saw, oh, wow. an ad. So I saw, I saw an ad. Well, Hey, this is a different era. I saw an ad that said session drummer can't play blast beats and double bass played with dying fetus misery index and like one more and suffocation. And I was like, oh, yeah, sold. I'm talking to this guy, but like by chance that I happened to read that issue of that paper is very, very difficult back then. So I th I feel like with the technology you have available to you now, there's no excuse whatsoever 
for having any stragglers in your band. If they are not up to par for the vision, get the fuck rid of them and find people who are. And if your music's not up to par to attract people worthy of that vision, you got to work on your music. That's my thoughts. Awesome. Well, thank you for translating my question. Like, what is Mm -hmm. the goal of what you're trying to do? I mean, because I feel like that also plays in. That's the first question I would ask. It's like, what what are you trying to do? Like, what do you want? What's the end game? Yeah, it would be something. Well, so I've noticed with uh, a lot of my favorite bands, there seems to be one person in the band who's kind of the driving force. And I don't know why that just seems to be a trend. There's one person and a, and a lot of that, the writing comes from them. So I feel like that just gives the album, uh, you know, some kind of cohesiveness that is different from when I hear bands where it's a group of guys having a good time, bouncing stuff off each other. But, um, so I don't know, something more that's a a very cohesive kind of sounds like it's coming from one brain or at least very like-minded brains, as opposed to just here, we're just going to ping pong and see what happens. You can't force that though. When you hear of a (laughs) band like Korn or something where it's been well, I know they have like a different drummer now and people have gone in and out, but it's basically mostly the same core lineup for 20 something years or Slipknot where, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of people died and stuff, but like it's pretty much been very consistent. Um, yeah, when you find a group of when, people. Yeah, that's, you can't, you can't force that. The, those types of relationships, uh, if you have it, great. If you find it, awesome. But, uh, you can't just manufacture that. And if that's what you're looking for, you don't have it now, then this is not, this is not it. If that's what you want out yeah. of the band. But like, I would not, uh, I would not like let that hold you back if that, because those types of work scenarios are, you know, it's an organic thing. So if you so happen to find people that you can have that relationship with, great, but you might not, that shouldn't stop you. Okay. No, that's great. Thank you. Just um, be determined. And if, if you're not feeling it, then, you know, don't have to worry about... Don't fucking suck. Yeah, don't settle. Thank you. Yeah, Don't settle. Don't suck. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuggah, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes 
everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. All right, up next, Mr. Joao Vitor. Hey there, so I got myself in a bit of a situation and I was hoping for some advice. So I'm trying to get into the video game soundtrack industry and it's been really rough. And I finally got a call this weekend to mix and master some songs from a soundtrack. The composer got himself in a bit of a mess and he wanted me to ghostwrite two of the songs, but I'm not going to get any money for it, only for the mixing and mastering. I'm not going to be able to use it for portfolio. So pretty much I'm going to have to write songs for this guy and get nothing out of it. Is this something that, that I should go through and, you know, suck it up and do it? Or am I being ripped off here? Interesting. Uh, there's always politics in some stuff. I'll give you an example. Uh, Joey came to me at one point in his life and he's like, dude, I am so fucking booked. I could work until I've lived three generations of my life. I can't handle all the work on my plate. Can you learn to be me so you can help me scale? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, send me a session and I'll learn how to literally copy and replace you as a human being as a mixer. So, you know, we tested it and refined it. He's like, okay, but here's a deal. Like, you can't tell anybody that we're fucking doing this or it's going to get me in a lot of trouble. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, so he's like, I'll get you some assist credits at best. But, you know, so I'm just like, okay, well, do I want the fucking money? Yes or no? Is it going to open doors? and um create things or do i want the credit right what do you want do you want money or do you want power you know what i mean <laughs> right so um for me it was like well i got a family to feed so i don't i don't care so much about the status or whatever like it's a great opportunity so i'm just going to go in and fucking kick ass so the answer is is that um two songs probably aren't going to change your life on a on a game soundtrack but being cooperative working and being fucking badass to work with may yield some awesome results. The other thing is is at some point it will give you more leverage to come in and uh, be, at some point and be like, "Hey, look, if I'm writing, you know, we need to change this arrangement blah 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 because I'm not comfortable with it." So I think to just shut a door because you feel like, well, you know, you're kind of like iffy on it is a mistake. And this is my opinion. Not everybody's going to agree with that. I would, I would generally give the person the benefit of the doubt. I would jump through the hoop on a leap of faith and hope that it works out to something bigger and better. But if it doesn't, well, okay, well, what do you lose? Okay. You lose a little bit of time. It's not really like you're, it's an asymmetrical risk versus reward in my opinion. So I think you should go for it, man. Because like I said, if you go and you kick ass, you write two songs, so fucking what, you know, you get paid to mix and master. If it's badass, you're going to have a, maybe a different conversation with that person or that group of people that you're working with, you know, going forward and things like that. So, um, you have more leverage then, but you don't have leverage until you provide value and you've proven yourself and you know that, you know, you're badass and you can hold your ground. So you know, you can be like, well, look, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this arrangement, but I'll try it out, you know? So maybe, I don't know, you know, just go, then go in and just put your best foot forward and just fucking kill it. 
Yeah, I'm, I agree with you, Joel. Like I'm thinking back to like 2013 when I started doing Creative Live and I was also on a massive writing project at the same time that I had studio clients coming in. And then I was also doing work assisting the two producers that I worked with back in Florida. That's a lot of stuff like coming at me and it was more that I could handle. And I remember asking John Douglas if he could more than just assist me, if he can like help me get through this and become me for a lot of stuff. And some stuff I could get him credit on, some stuff I couldn't, but I'd pay him for everything and he'd be doing me a huge solid. And uh, obviously John Douglas and I are still very cool. Uh, he does stuff for URM all the time. It worked out great for him. I think that unless there's a prior history of you getting screwed by this guy or something, I'm with Joel 100%. If you are in fact helping him solve a problem, like if you're basically coming to the rescue, as long as he's not a douchebag or something, he's going to remember that you solved the problem for him. There could be contractual reasons for why he's not allowed to credit you or something. It could have nothing to do with who he is as a person, but you helping him out being just like being a good teammate could yield a lot of great stuff. And like Joel said, the worst that can happen is you're out some time. It's okay to get fucked over. Like, yeah, seriously. It's, it's part of it. If you go through your life with fear, a fear of loss, what's going to happen is you're, you're not going to achieve anything because you're constantly afraid to take risk. I've been fucked over by so many people in my career and lied to and stole from and cheated. And you know what? I'm still here and they're not. So, you know, I think my mentality wins out in the end because I think, like I said, I'm, I'm still here and I, I still ascend. So for me, it's kind of just like, you can't be afraid to go into a relationship writing with somebody or mixing with somebody and then be like, Oh, well, what if they fuck me over? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, what if they don't, what if it's awesome and you forge a great partnership and make a ton of money together and do really cool shit, you know, like that is fucking exciting. So you got to go, you, you just fuck, get rid of the fucking fear that's holding you back and just take the fucking jump. I mean, you can look at it from a relationship angle too, like getting in a relationship with someone. Is this person going to, cheat on me or like uh just get up and leave well maybe right maybe who knows is there a prior history of that if not then what are you gonna not get into something good because of something that might happen when you have no indications that it'll happen you will not have a good life if you approach your life like that i'm yeah. joel 100 thanks joel all right up next chris lane hey chris how are you hey doing well guys Thanks Good. for uh, giving me the stage. Of course. I guess my question would be in today's culture of artists that you have self-recording, producing and distributing their own platforms, what's the largest value that you think a label is able to give their artists um, and especially specifically relative to how that relationship with the studio is? Can I take this? Because I've been on labels. Um, yeah, I have lots to say as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me just tell you from the perspective of someone who's been on a few labels and signed a few record deals. Cool. There is a credibility that comes to you as an artist the moment you're signed to a good label. And it has nothing to do with the record budget. It has nothing to do with any of the deal points. But opportunities and doors, not all of them, it's not going to just swing wide open and you're set forever get to do anything you want. 
But like I said, the public's perception of you is going to change and you will be considered real, which makes a huge fucking difference when you're submitting for tours, for instance, when you're trying to do anything. So that is something that as an independent artist, you're going to have to work 10 times as hard to establish, number one. Number two, and outside of budgets, okay, like I'm not talking about stuff like budgets, the admin side of releasing things is a lot of work and there's a huge learning curve. Now, I know some people, some artists who have been able to do that, like uh, Chris Wiseman with Shadow of Intent. Amazing. Amazing at it. I believe Aaron Marshall intervals. Like it does exist. It is doable. But these people have are super, super organized. They're super, super focused. They are very connected in the industry. And they're the type of personality who is capable of segmenting. When they work on music, they work on music. Then they work on the business stuff. Is it something they can't handle? They're going to delegate it. Forget the superstars, okay? Forget Trent Reznor. Forget Radiohead. Forget any of those superstars who have gone without a label and think about people who are closer to earth, like I said, like Chris Wiseman or Aaron Marshall. Um, Are you that type of person? So you need to ask yourself, are you capable of handling that type of work? In addition to the music, are you capable of delegating? Do you have a good business brain? Like, can you actually do the job or is it going to be a giant fucking mess? You need to ask yourself that very, very honestly, because one of the main things that a label does is it creates that structure that some artists are not capable of doing for themselves. It's not just about money. You need a team also. No one's successful in this world without a team. Anybody who thinks they can do everything, I mean, that, that's one in a billion. But even the most successful people on earth, like Elon Musk, have massive teams behind them. Well, since we lost AL again, I'm going to just add in what I was going to say about budget and financing. So if you think about it, it's like a, a business deal. You know, what a label adds is like what a venture capitalist does to a business. It's like if you have an idea or a song or a brand brand, right? Um, they can come in and they can take something that works and they can put absolute fucking steroids into it. You know what I mean? They can take it and they can blow it up and they have reach and contacts and connections and money to do whatever they need to do that you don't have unless you have your own investors. So a lot of artists either need investors to get the money to do this kind of stuff or they need to go to a label to do it, um, or they need to try to hope to blow up uh, virally, organically. And those are kind of like the three paths. And the most of the time, a lot of the big bands um, that I met, I've noticed in my life, have had some sort of venture backing or some sort of like rich backer, you know, just some sort of person who can come in and inject capital or a label or a combination of both. Like a manager works with some investors and they break a band and then they take it to a label and then they put the rocket fuel on it. So financially, that's the reason that a lot of artists do that because, you know, you can work on a YouTube channel and things like that, or a label can snap their fingers, make a few phone calls, and then like stuff actually starts happening. You know, again, the music's got to be great. You know, you can put a billion dollars into a great what you think is going to be a great business, it could go out of business in a year because the idea sucks and nobody cares or it could be ahead of its time or whatever. So um, all stuff to think about. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, you guys. All right, up next is Kamen. You're next. Hello. Hello. Now, I have a question that is that I'm, I've been wondering for the past week if it's like super normal or if I'm like a horrible human being for thinking. But basically, uh, do you charge your own band when you decide that you're going to mix slash produce them? I definitely like to sometimes. <laughs> There's definitely been days. 
I never personally have. I think this is more of a, it, it depends on how you value your time and the opportunity cost of your time. So when I was in the band, obviously I, I treated it like a separate business. We had a vested interest together to do and achieve a goal, which was getting signed and, you know, be, becoming successful as a band and touring. Um, but so I didn't really see it as like me doing work production stuff. I saw it as like a necessity. It's like, we can go and invest and pay somebody or I can just do it and save us a bunch of cash. That's the way we kind of viewed it. So I was willing to donate my time because the band's success was important to me. Now, if I were in a band, I would still do the same thing, but um, I could definitely understand the mentality of wanting to charge your own band. Um, because again, it depends on how busy you are, how serious the band is, how you value your time. And, um, I, I will say this, I can't see that conversation going good at band practice. I feel like that would really, that would really, I, I agree with you in principle, like you have every right to do it because again, I remember an album I put out myself cause the band broke up and I, I, I released it and I did all the damn work and I mixed it and I finished the fucking record and I put it out. And, um, the band wasn't even a band anymore, but I did it because I wanted to do it. And I, I definitely wish I could be compensated for all that fucking time. At the same time, it's kind of just like, well, you know, it's my music, so it exists, and at least I'm happy about that. Well, I think that it depends on what type of band you're in, right? And, like, what the structure is and how things work, because there's certain bands out there where everyone has a certain job, right? There's, like, the producer in the band. There's the person who handles all the numbers. It's a person who writes most of the music, et cetera, like, there's a lot of pretty successful bands where everyone has their role and uh, they split everything equally. And, they, you know, the producer does that work, but the producer doesn't uh, get involved with certain other things because it's not that person's job. So That's a really is, good point, yeah. Al. I think it's yeah, worth doubling down on that. With you're all working splitting towards equal. the same goal. Yeah. You're all working towards the same goal, right? Like, so if, uh, if what you bring to the table in addition to playing, is that you're the one who can record. Well, that's cool. But then it, the only time that I see that going bad is if you handle the business and you write all the music and you produce everything and you micromanage everybody, that's going to, that's, but that's an imbalanced kind of relationship. But if it, if it makes sense to where you're just doing your part, then why would you charge them? Now, if it is a collective and there's a record budget that the band takes, production as opposed to paying a producer well it would make sense also that the band invest in better studio gear which obviously becomes yours for instance i have seen that happen many times too but like charging your band like your band is a client kind of weird thanks for, for the input yeah, i was wondering really because i never really heard this topic brought up and there are a lot of producers that have their own band yeah i was just wondering what other people's opinion on this is it because i've never heard anyone talk about it no well, i think equality is important in a business relationship which a band usually is because if you got you know if like we take songwriting and publishing even if the bass player didn't really contribute you better believe he's going to be fucking pissed off three years later that he didn't get a cut when that band blows up and you know what i mean uh, I've, I've definitely seen that go bad. So I, I think when you're in a band situation, to echo what Al said, that's why I mentioned doubling down on this. 
is that the more equality you have, the more vested interest, the more people are going to get along. And that's so fucking important to the synergy of the organization if you want to be successful. Because as you get bigger, if you have little rifts between you, you can believe as soon as you put money in the, like the, you know, the, the wheel and it, it instantly jams it up and whatever little problems you have become really big ones really quickly because there's a lot to lose and a lot on the line and everybody thinks they're right. And, you know, it can cause a lot of problems. So you want to squash that shit preemptively as much as possible by creating an environment where people People feel like, you know, everybody's fairly contributing and uh, having a good time doing it. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Common. All right. Up next, Mike Wood. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, Mike. Kind of jumping back on to the label subject again. I was curious, do bands usually get approached by a label or is it something that bands kind of have to go like look for and like hound out? It depends. And there's a process for this. And the best process is usually if I was going to start and I've done this before, so I'll take an example. Uh, I'll take a band I call it Vinyl Theater. They came into me as a local band. I'm like, your image sucks. Your, your this sucks. Your that sucks. Everything you're doing is fucking wrong. We need to change everything. Uh, show me if you guys are motivated since you just told me you want to get signed and then we'll get serious. So the band came back. We put together an entire brand. They showed me they were serious. I'm like, okay, now we got to get we got to write hit songs. We got to write stuff that's going to smash for the genre that we're doing. And we're like, okay, cool. Now that I've got some really great songs and a band that I know fucking hustles and works hard and they look good and they have energy, you know, let's go find a manager. So I made some calls and I showed some people some shit. By the way, don't ever count on your producer pitching your band. But like I said, usually you go after a manager and if a manager hears it and like, holy shit, this is going to be big, they get on board. Once the manager gets on board, they're going to do some prep shit. Like, for example, all right, let's go buy into a couple of dates. I got a tour coming through town with this huge ass band. I'm going to put you on the bill you know they're, they're going to pull some strings they're going to get some connections maybe they'll get some funding or financing whatever um and then they're going to go and they're going to they're going to write more songs until they feel like they have a fucking banger of a song and they're going to go into the office of the a&r guy and be like i got the next band listen to this song this is a fucking smash we're going to crush you know in whatever format we're we're in in the genre say it's radio say it's you know whatever and at that point if the label's like, holy shit, they'll pass it around the office and they'll be on the next fucking flight to come see you play live like a week later. That's always how it happens. Like, Because then once they get into it, there's usually like a bidding war. So a label can come after a band, but usually after something goes viral and it blows up. So if you want to go in the normal way where you didn't go viral, you usually need to kind of work up. And the best thing is not to pitch yourself, but to have a manager pitch it because the manager knows the A&R person. They go out and they drink together and smoke cigars and hang out on the weekend and go fishing with their you know kids and wives together. You know what I mean? Like that guy is going to have a much better chance than like, oh, some fucking bullshit band hit me up, blah, 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 garbage. Where it's like, hey, dude, I got the next thing. All right, I'm going to listen because if you're bringing this to me, I know it's going to be good. You see what I mean? There's a big difference. So that is, you know, not always the process, but I would say statistically, you know, within the most standard deviations of what happens most of the time. Okay. So I agree with everything Joel just said. And I'll just add that whole idea of, if you matter, they'll find you. That's very, very true. It's very, very true. You got to understand the amount of stuff that gets submitted to people at labels. It's Monty Connor showed me once, uh, a roadrunner, uh, A&R guy. How many mixed credit not- emails do you get every day, AL, <laughs> on your DM? 50? <laughs> yeah. So imagine being an A&R person at right. a big label. You're going to be getting a tsunami of stuff. And 2,000 unread emails with MP3s attached. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need some sort of a way to filter through that. Like 
some sort of way. If you matter, basically people will be talking about you online or in your area. And if you matter enough, it will spread. And people whose job it is, and remember, it's their job to find bands that matter. This is what they make money off of. This is uh, how they feed their families. If you matter, they will find you. And uh, that's, that's the way to get their attention is make yourself matter. You don't yeah, like expect Final the Theater. label. They blew up on SoundCloud. They, they had, and then they got entered in Billboard's number, like top three unsigned bands in the country that magazine, Billboard magazine, that you need to hear about that are blowing up right now because they, they spiked the SoundCloud charts. I don't remember how we did it or whatever. We just had the right song at the right time, the right everything. You know, so all of a sudden it was like, now we're in a bidding war. We've got like four or five different A&R guys that want to come sign the band and they all talk and they all discuss and, you know, they're, they're looking for the new thing. Everybody all the time looking for the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. Ditch the idea of going looking for labels and double down on the idea of making your own project as amazing and noteworthy as humanly possible. Something that people will want to talk about and will want to share with their friends because it's so great. Just think about the. this was a shift in my thinking that really helped me a lot was I started to think about how do I become a fan of a band? What's the process? Like, how do I hear about them? What makes me actually check them out? Like, from checking them out, what then happens next? When from checking them out, I listen to them some more. What happens next that from listening to them some more, I listen to them a lot. And I'm like, this is the shit. And usually I'll have, and this is pre like internet, post internet, it's the same. I will have had to hear about it in a few different places. Someone, recommend it. I see the name somewhere. It kind of comes on my radar over the period of many months. And then somehow, for some reason, maybe I check out a track and I pay attention or I don't. And then a little time goes by and a track comes up again on a playlist. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And little by little, I start to develop this idea that, wait, this matters. And then I see that there's a lot of people talking about it, or I see that there's a lot of people talking about it. And I remember seeing that name. Maybe I should check that out. I check it out and it's great. Then I want to check out more and more. And then I'll go down a rabbit hole and then I'm a fan. But it's this process and it never, ever, ever involves the band coming to me. Ever. <laughs> Key point. So think about how you become a fan of a band and keep in mind that the way that you become a fan of a band is probably the way lots of people become the fan of a band. And you want to enter yourself into that process. All right. Up next, Philip Self. What's up, Philip? All right. So I got two questions. Uh, the first one is directed to both of you guys. And so, you know, this question's come up a lot and I still love hearing your experience on it. COVID, things are still shut down for a lot of people. And so we're doing a lot more remote work for artists. So how do you build a rapport with these artists for mix-only jobs or artists that you just meet online if you can't do it in person, um, especially for people who feel like you do a better job and you give a better experience when you get to meet them in person and get to know them personally? Well, I'm going to cite a URM person I talked to on a one-on-one -on -one once, and he was like in the Seattle area. And one of the things he did that was really awesome because we were talking about acquisition and then he kind of went and did his thing and then he came back and he told me what he did and he blew up very fast. So one of the tactics he did is he would go to an artist, you know, first off, don't 
punish them or like, you know, don't send them the stereotypical copy and paste email. Like let them see you a little bit. Like this person's commenting on our shit. They're liking our statuses. They're sharing it They're you know, like, Oh, this is, this is, this person seems cool. Right. You're, you're building some sort of rapport. You're not just some rando who shows up and starts punishing them. Like, Hey, come work with me, man. Listen to my shit. So, you know, he would go do something like that. You know, he would try to warm them up a little bit and just be, be seen, right? Just like we were talking about with bands a second ago, like, you know, reverse engineering the process, be seen, let them, let them be aware that you're a person, but, but you're supporting them in a supportive role. So come in and then he would go to them and be like, Hey, you know, I want to pitch an idea to you. So I think I was listening to your stuff. I love your band. You guys are amazing. I want to work with you, but can I remix for free a song like your latest single? Cause I think I can do a better job. Can you get me the stems? It's not going to cost you anything. I want to show you that I can really deliver the shit for you. So, you know, out of that, let's say he talks to 10 bands. And again, he's not spamming. He's taking the time to build some sort of like visibility and stuff and a little bit of investment. You know, I don't know what the success rate is, but he he's, has a certain success rate. And then he sits down and he mixes that song until it fucking destroys whatever their last recording sounds like. And then he sends it to the band and then they're like, holy shit. And then he gets the job and he, this guy fucking cleaned up with this. I mean, he really, 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 he went from like, yeah, I'm thinking about starting a studio. And in three months, the next time I had a one-on-one with him, he was like, dude, I am fucking booked. <laughs> so I was really, really, really proud of him and happy because most people, you know, aren't going to go for it like that. But I just really was happy to hear about that transformation. So I kind of like that because at some point you have to pull the trigger and approach somebody and you have to talk to them. And if you talk to them cold, it's a little bit more awkward. I'll use an example. Like when I go to the grocery store, right, there's a checkout person. So, you know, did you find everything? Okay, blah, 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 blah. So maybe the first time you go in there, you do a little small talk, you make a little joke or something. And then you see him the next day and then you blah, blah, blah. And then the next day, hey, how are you doing tonight? Blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and then one day they're just going to open it up to you. And now all of a sudden after a month, you see this person almost every day. You know, you go back and forth. You start asking questions, you know, a little bit about each other. And then you have a nice, fun discourse and, you know, conversation with them. It's the same thing. It's like you come in online and you just spam somebody through DM. They're going to be like, who the fuck is this? I mean, I get it every day. I hate it so much. It's just like, but when people are like, they're cool, you know, you see them on a comment or they, you know, they, they, you know, they're, they're polite and respectful and they're not just like, bro, quit this fucking mix, man. I need to know now I have a thing in 20 minutes. I need you to listen to this right now. It's like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. I'm going to drop everything I'm fucking doing so I can quit this fucking mix. You and the other 50 fucking people that have emailed me this shit today. So it's like, think about it from that point of view, like the band doesn't want to be punished like anybody else. They want to just be like politely introduced. So like I said, let them see you like go comment on their shit, like it, share it, whatever. Like, you know, let them see you a little bit without approaching them and then make a soft, subtle approach. And what's worse they can say, fuck off. No. But what if they say yes, then you sit down and you prove it. So I've seen that work. You know, again, I I try to treat online in person. I'm going to just say though, if you're going to do that, just be ready to be hated by everybody. I mean, yeah, it's true. Just need to say, if you're okay with that, by all means do that. But if you're cool with being called a poacher and um, basically making no friends in the industry and just surviving on the quality of your work alone, then do that. Now, on the other hand, if you're going to work with any band who has already worked with somebody else, you know, there's a fine line. So I would be very, very careful if you really do believe that a band is being underserved with what they've already done. Offer a tax um, tax for free on their next album. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, just be real careful. Having a strong network is just as important as uh, the quality of your work. And especially if like, let's just say that you're great, right? You're great. And you're so great that you uh, become popular for a while, even. That's cool. But you're a bastard too. <laughs> What'll happen is that the moment that the trends shift, your DMs are going to go cold because nobody likes you. And as opposed to if you have a strong network, you'll keep on working because people want to work with you. So be very fucking careful when doing anything that could be seen as shady or that's going to get you hated by all your peers. Just I've saying. never, um, for the record, acquired a client that way personally, but I've seen it work for other people. So, you know, a tactic is a tactic. It's what you choose to do with it and how you do it. There's a lot of ways to yeah. skin a cat, you know? Yeah, exactly. I just needed to throw that little disclaimer in there. Also about mixing in person. I don't know that many mixers that like mixing in person anyways. So most don't. Thank you, Philip. We have time for one more question. I'm going to bring up Timothy Duncan and uh, that'll be, that'll be it. So, um, Welcome, Timothy. Thank you. Whenever you're working with new bands and uh, you're just kind of getting started, what do you recommend to them for legal purposes of their songs if they're kind of just getting started as well in the industry as of like legalizing their, their songs and maybe getting lawyers and stuff like that? How, how much info that information as a producer do you try to offer to add value? I mean, you want to give people as much information as you possibly can. I think a band that's getting started that doesn't even know if they want to get signed, I guess, again, it always comes back to what is the scope? You ask the client, let them tell you what they want to do. If they're like, we're going to the fucking moon, then you, you show them the path. But it, that still has value to teach that type of information to bands that you know aren't serious and never will be. I wouldn't advise getting a lawyer or, you know, anything like that for a band that's just getting started out because they might not even be a band by the end of the month. Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they don't need a, yeah, they don't need a fucking lawyer <laughs> unless shit yeah, starts yeah. getting serious. Timothy, I think that it's really important to not put the cart before the horse. If everyone's just getting started out, like ground zero, there's more important things to be worrying about than contracts. And just keep in mind that I'm saying this, knowing that in the record industry, a lot of stuff is done on a handshake. So even at the highest levels, there are still some things where people will write up a contract, agree, and then never sign it. And there's a lot of stuff where terms are discussed through emails and the deal is done like a year after the product's even finished. Like that kind of stuff happens all the time. And so if that is something that happens at the highest levels. There is uh, no reason to waste your time with it with a band, like Joel said, that might not be a band in a month. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't get a lawyer to look over contracts and that you shouldn't watch your ass or anything like that. But just given the scenario you just described of just getting started, you got more important things to worry about, like just focus uh, on their branding. Yeah, focus on well, focus on getting a great recording in the first place. Like focus on their songs and all that. Like if they're just getting started, it's highly likely that those things are also just getting started. And <laughs> definitely no, nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Like just getting started. I'm imagining the just getting started part being global in the project, like everyone. And, uh, and I just think that it's important to know what your priorities are and what 
is important to focus on, that would be the music and the way you know, the music sounds, in my opinion. One of the things I always used to coach, like the first time I'd work with a band, I usually spend a lot of time, not so much teaching them business and stuff, but performance coaching them and teaching them how to be better at their instruments because, you know, 98% of people suck. And uh, maybe the bar has gone up now, but at least when I was recording, you know, bands would come in and you're like, okay, this kid's never had a guitar lesson, but he's in a band. So let me give him like a micro guitar lesson while he's doing this. And then like you open the kid's eyes and then the next time you see him, like his pick attack sounds twice as good. And, you know, the bass player is playing more confidently and the singer has better pitch and less like shaky, stupid vibrato. You know what I mean? So focus on the performance aspect of it, how to record better, how to play better. Then I, then I kind of like, once we get that done, I would always go into like branding a little bit and be like, okay, what are you trying to do? Like we, we, we're all dressed like clowns. We got to get serious. Like what what do we want to look like? What do we want to sound like? What do we do? You know? So I I think you can kind of add value, but there's a ladder, like a value ladder. Like you got to go up one rung, you know, like AL is hundred percent right. Like you can't, you know, we can't be worried about how we're dressed if we can't even fucking play to a click track, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then the next thing is too, is like, if you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to how the industry works and types of contracts and all that, you're actually doing a disservice giving advice on that stuff. If you don't have some level of expertise in it, hold off on that one. Like it's do more research. Blah. And then once the music, once everything's done with the music and they're ready to actually distribute, then hit that bridge after I've done my research or got an expert in that subject that can assist with talking yes. to them. Maybe instead Correct. of me, me wanting to, you know, kind of do it all. But yeah, you could no, be a connector. There's a lot right, of value I mean, in just sharing your network with people like, oh, you need a photographer here. This is the person the best. You need a videographer yeah. here. This person will shoot your music video. They're great. You know, like be that person. That is that also a great value add. It's just simply deploying your network for somebody because again, you can't assume everybody knows the best photographer in town or the best uh, lawyer or the best, you know what I mean? So just right, be a connector. That, that just takes that extra pressure. Even though I want to add value, it just takes that pressure off me. And then later down the road, if I become an expert, then I can offer that. Now, y'all are helpful. Thank you. But let me just say, that adding value is great when you've already got the audio part of the value taken care of. All this extra stuff, like helping them with branding and all that stuff, if you don't have the audio part, like unlock, none of that even matters. Focus on what's important, which is the audio. Once that part is like good, I mean, you can always get better, but like once uh, that's uh, more established, then you can start adding other kinds of value. And just remember that the most famous and successful producers and mixers don't do all that extra shit typically. They do the audio part. I mean, sometimes they'll help with writing. Sometimes they'll facilitate like a connect through the network. But oftentimes they're just doing the one simple thing that they're hired for, which is mix this. And that alone is all, all that needs to happen. Here's a life hack is that the best time to do this, in my opinion, because you want to be dedicated 100% to the audio part of the job with your brain is when you're doing something passive like drum editing or vocal editing. That's always what I would sit there and lecture the band because we'd edit drums for a day and uh, then we'd be like bullshitting and I'd entertain them. So I'd, I'd give them a lecture. And then the rest of the time we were focused on what we were actually there to do. So that's yeah, a good but you got to know what you're talking about if you're going to give them a lecture advising them on stuff. Right. Understood. Very cool. Well, thank you for your question, Timothy. All right, everybody. Thank you for hanging out with us, Joel. It's a pleasure as always. Anytime. 
Yeah. And uh, we will hopefully speak to all of you next time. Have a good day. Thanks for the questions, everybody. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends, as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALLEVYURM Audio at URM Academy. And of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. And use the subject line, answer me, al. All right, then. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.